Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Kia ora everyone and welcome to your bona fide favourite pop culture podcast. Laura, I don't know... If you've heard that people do refer to us as their bona fide favorite, I literally podcast. was hearing you say that, and all I could think was, "Is that how you say bona fide, or do you say bona fide?" Oh, okay. I don't know. Maybe I'm saying it in just like a really dirty way. Oh. <laughs> no, maybe that's a mundane poll, actually. Bona fide or bona fide? I would never say bona fide, but you're in the UK. Bona fide. <laughs> Okay, so I don't know if this will still be your bona fide favourite pop culture podcast after hearing Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding, obviously. Oh, we hope so. Yeah. Please have me uh, back. No, everyone loves you. Laura, you had a great debut a few weeks ago. How are you feeling? I had a terrifying... I feel I was mortified afterwards and I came out of um, the bedroom slash closet that I'm currently recording this in. And with a tear in my eye, I said to Rupert, I'm never doing that again. Um, and then she listened to it, though, and she messaged us and was like, Ruby is a wizard. Like, she made it sound Literally. Good. No, but it's because, and we'll probably do an episode on this, mm-hmm. like imposter syndrome. Because you're actually great. You know your shit. But it's just something about being a woman and doing something new is you got to go through that era of never feeling like you're good enough. Oh. I mean, I think it's also it's also just cringe, which we will get to, but hearing your voice back and hearing your laugh, oh, yeah. like all these things. But I think you're right. I think, I mean, every man and his dog has a podcast, right? And they never seem to second yes. guess it. So You should never um, listen to your voice back. You should never listen to the episodes back. I don't think I will. That's my <laughs> advice. Because you're always great and you just know that between Ruby and T.I. here, it's going to be... It's, it's going to be gorgeous. Well, we hope so. We do hope so. But... Okay, you've been traveling a little bit since we last chatted. I want to know what describes your week. What describes my week? I mean, I think I've got two, which won't be the case every week, I'm sure. But one, I have been traveling. So I went to Portugal. I went to Lisbon. I saw someone in the comments that I only go to places beginning with L, which I think might be true. I was literally reviewing in my head. (laughs) It's on brand. (laughs) I went to Portugal for my wedding anniversary because she's married now. Um, And it was... I cannot believe it. I also, I mean, I'll get to this, but I chose to read on the wedding anniversary trip a book about divorce. <laughs> Just to like what? prep or learn what not to do? Or I wasn't quite sure. And it, like halfway through, Rupert was like, you seem really into that book. Like, what's it about? <laughs> Bro, are you planning something? You're trying to, what, fight for Stanley Tucci. You've got to get rid of Light. Got to get rid of Stanley Tucci light and straight to Stanley Tucci. No, it was, but it was gorgeous. But the second thing that I think has defined my week, which we have discussed a bit, is the BAFTAs, which happened here this week. It's a um, UK award show and there was a opening performance by Ariana DeBose and it has dominated my timeline. Like I cannot 
do anything without seeing the clips from this and all the different responses. And I sent it to Luce and... I hadn't seen it. And I, like I'd heard about it, but it hadn't really crossed into any of my feeds, any of my algorithms. And then you said something really interesting, which I think we'll probably find on a lot of episodes, is that the UK and New Zealand are obviously having like, I mean... I am not the whole of New Zealand, so people have definitely seen this. But I like mean, we ha- we're having very if that was everywhere for you and nowhere for me, that's interesting to me. It's so I mean, yeah, I guess it was a UK kind of story, but I think I mean, go go watch, make up your own opinions. Um not, I don't think okay. Lucy's actually brought herself to watch it. I tried to watch it and oh I find it really hard. And this is on brand for this podcast episode. I find it really hard to watch things that make me cringe. And Liv and I actually have a whole episode on leaning into cringe and what it says about you when you can't watch it. And for me, it's because, like, I would do something like that. Like, I would do a rap, I reckon, like that because I love Hamilton. <laughs> Not that that is Anyway, have you got more to add on it? I couldn't watch it. Laura has. I, think, so I shouldn't be talking I think, about it. I mean, it's so, this again, I think, is so interesting what different people find cringe because I've seen, I mean, there's been some pretty amazing takes and I think she did the theatre kids proud, like I think in some ways, but the thing I found the most cringe was just the pan to the audience and all these I know, oh, I know. uptight British people are sitting there not sure what to do when someone's telling them to get out of their seat and clap. Like, I just think the disparity between... It was so interesting to watch. And I just think, yeah, everyone will take what they want from it. And it defined your week. (laughs) It will (laughs) never define yours. (laughs) I would never define mine. Oh, Oh. what defined your week, Luz? Um, Mine is really not pop culture-ish at all. I let the team down every week. Mine is literally just early bird catches the worm. And this is not a hot take because people that know me, which is all of you listening, you know that I get up very early every day to write the newsletter. But this week it's been particularly like every morning I've had a meeting or something to do like 7 or 7.30 a.m. And so like yesterday I had a catch up for a secret project, which is annoying that I can't talk about. Today we've got Culture Vulture. I'm recording it at 7.30 in the morning. You're recording it at... 6.43 at night. 6.43 at night. Tomorrow I've got another meeting about something I fucking can't talk to you about, which is really annoying for me to say once again. Um, And then, you know, it's just life. But I like it because I love... I actually fucking love the mornings. And it's where I operate, like, most weirdly which is always good for us I feel like that is something that was my new year's resolution was to just be able to get up in the morning like and not but I feel like there's there's a real thing of people which I hate like people thinking that they're better than other people for being able to get up early whereas I'm like no I can't I definitely feel like you are yeah no no I don't think you are like Liv could stay up late at night and like paint and do really creative shit and write and I have to be in bed by like 9 p.m so I don't see any of the fun that happens after that yeah I just assumed in my picture in my mind of you that you're just constantly awake like you just never sleep that used to be the case and then I sort of got older and realized you're actually not invincible Luce well 
I think we're maybe a match made in heaven then. This whole, I'll yeah. record in the evening, you'll record in the morning. Yeah. It's the best. It's beautiful. It's the best for us. Anyway, I'm going to do a naughty or nice, shall I? Mm-hmm. Please, my first. You're, oh, your first naughty or nice. Well, have you heard about Selena Gomez and Hailey Bieber and Kylie Jenner and Taylor Swift? And Okay, so what I've heard, yep. well, I saw, I saw something about laminated eyebrows. Yep. I saw all those names Mm -hmm. and I saw Selena deleted TikTok but still has Instagram. Tell me more. Oh my gosh. Okay. So she's up with the play. Let me fill in the gaps. Basically, as we all know, as consumers of pop culture, um, Hayley Bieber and Selena Gomez have had, I don't really want to call it a feud because I feel like the internet sort of named it that and, and pushed that on them and on us, yeah. but there's been, like, some fabricated or possibly real beef between them ever since Selena dated Justin, they broke up, Hayley then dated Justin, now they're married, and people on the internet are obsessed with Team Selena slash Team Hayley, whatever. Right. So we had this situation this week where Selena, like, had she had over-laminated her eyebrows and that's what she she said she was like oops I accidentally over laminated them and then Kylie Jenner who's best friends with Hailey Bieber put on her Instagram story like some photos of eyebrows and then everyone on the internet was like oh my god they're making a dig at Selena it's mean girl behavior they've done things like this before and there's no way for us to know whether that you know where that came from whether it was intentional whether it was a dig or whether it was just a bad right yeah but basically people online started doing some like conspiracy thinking you know where you connect dots that aren't really there and like draw your own conclusions it almost turns into a game for them and so there was heaps of heaps of videos made on tiktok specifically about how Haley and kylie were making a dig at Selena. And then these videos sort of got enough attention that Kylie Jenner wrote in the comments of one of these videos, you guys are making something out of nothing. This is silly. And then Selena Gomez was like, she later commented that she was a fan of Kylie Jenner's and this was nothing. This was not a fight. But then, you know how the internet, as soon as like they notice one thing happening, they sort of are like, no, this is way bigger. Let's bring up every old video of this quote-unquote fear. Which is terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying and it's just like it only serves the social media companies because there's heaps of new videos going on their site, heaps of new likes, heaps of attention. Like it serves no one except for them. And so anyway, all these old photos, uh, all these old videos started getting resurfaced that had things to do with the fight, quote-unquote fight between these two, Selena and Hayley. And one of them was a 2017 video of – Hayley Bieber on the show dropped the mic and someone mentions Taylor Swift and then Hayley like visibly gags. It was like Taylor Swift mentioning boyfriends in her lyrics and then Hayley Bieber gags. And like just a reminder, this was 2017. We must, must, must look at things in context. It was never okay how people spoke about Taylor Swift. This was very much the conversation though that was happening. Hayley would have been hella young. Like this was six years ago. Anyway, so this clip came up not a nice thing to do and then I think Selena must have logged on and she's probably scrolled through her for you page and seen just way too many videos about the feud and and about I don't know people having their hot takes and so she chimed in on this video of Hayley gagging at Taylor Swift 
at the mention of Taylor Swift and said, so sorry, my best friend Taylor Swift is and continues to be one of the best in the game. And then she commented again after people started saying, why the fuck did you comment on this, like, resurfaced old clip? And, like, of course she did because the narrative had got taken out of her hands. And she so far, yeah. And wanted to say, I mean, that's so interesting. Like, at what point do celebrities kind of comment or take action and how long are they supposed to kind of just, like, yes. just voicelessly watch? That's what me and my flatmate Flo were talking about all weekend. We were sort of, like, in... Like, the perfect world, you'd be able to just watch all of this happen online, not say anything, and then it goes away. But how many of us would be able to see v- videos racking up millions of likes about something that was hating on our friend or that was false or just really mean and not comment? Like, it, it's, it totally. feels inhumane to ask, like, celebrities to just shut off their feelings on social media, which we all beg to be this true and authentic thing. Anyway... She then commented, I have every right to defend my friends. Say whatever you want about me, but my people I'd die for. Thanks so much. And then to wrap the story up, she went on live, on TikTok Live, and said this. I'm very happy. I'm so blessed. I have the best friends and the best fans in the whole world, and I just couldn't be happier. I'm going to be taking a second from social media because this is a little silly and I'm 30. I'm too old for this. And so she deleted her TikTok. And you were right. She's like on other social media platforms, but I kind of think that's fair enough. Like, I actually think we're all too yeah. old for this. I think no matter how old you are, to be commenting and making videos, speculating on other people's lives and like taking information that they didn't willingly give us, we're too old for that. And you're just have to protect your mental health I think I mean I feel like this will come back a lot to this but like if that's all you're saying I mean how freeing it would be to just hit delete and just be like I'm out like I always I always think about this but whenever I'm like scrolling through like Rupert's Instagram his entire feed is just surfing videos and like like things to do in London And, like, the occasional friend. A blissful existence. A blissful. I was like, if mine looked like, like, did you see the BAFTAs this week? Like, did you? And his life is blessed. And, like, we can all, except for you and I, who must be here to run the Pop Culture Podcast to keep people informed, we can all have that existence if we choose to. It's this need for... I don't know. It's this need for extra access into celebrity lives to make us feel something, whether it's anger or joy or, like, yearning. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or cringe. And, yeah, it just, honestly, it's just a good reminder to go and touch some grass. And if you feel like making a mean video towards someone, um, maybe, like, go watch some surfing videos. We'll get Rupert to (laughs) link some goodies. (laughs) Link what to do in London. <laughs> what to do in London. It's honestly bliss. His life is bliss. Oh, yeah, we all want he's to be there. married to you and you're there reading Aww. a story about divorce on your, on your anniversary. <laughs> what more could you want, bro? <laughs> We've got some things to unpack. <laughs> um, I have another story. I have two more stories. They're not mm-hmm. going to be as long as the first one. Oh, first of all. That first story, was it naughty or was it nice for you? I think that was naughty because I feel like all of it just needed to be not yes. happening. Yeah, great. It could have That could have ended in 2014. That I think so. Feud, if we're going to call it that. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, next story. Did you hear about Sabrina Carpenter on BBC Radio 1 Live Lounge? I know nothing about this. Okay. So, do you know, um, and Sabrina Carpenter's song, Nonsense, uh-huh. every time she sings it, especially live, she does a different outro, and it's often quite, like, sexy and quite controversial, and, like, she changes it every time. Okay. Have you, do you know? Okay. So, she does this. It's really good. And she did this in the BBC Radio 1 Live Lounge, um, and they've had to take down the video from their channel on YouTube, and they've had to edit out the outro because of its sexual reference. Ruby's going to play what she sung. I'm American, I am not British. So BBC, it stands for something different. This live lounge is so lit because I'm in it. In it? Because I'm in it. You get it? And so BBC is, I'm going to read what, some newspaper said about it so that I don't have to explain it. It is also used as an explicit description of a certain type of male anatomy. And she, I actually thought this is quite a, like, she sounded really good when she sang it. It sounded like, in context, sounded quite good. And I think it would have been kind of iconic for the BBC to leave it in. But now it's sort of put that innuendo in my head every time I – and I, like, fucking read the BBC a hundred times a day. So, anyway, that's very naughty. Like, I just had to put it in there because I feel like it's – that's, like, textbook naughty and like, the spicy yeah. way. And it's also ruined the BBC for you now forever. No, I think it might have made it better. Like, it's made it a bit more fun. <laughs> Make the BBC fun again. Make the BBC funny. That's what you should care about doing. We are the fun version <laughs> And then we have a Laura recommendation for Naughty or Nice, which I did write about in the newsletter and I'm obsessed with it. But Hayley Lou Richardson meeting her heroes, living her dream in the Jonas Brothers music video. Have you watched the music video? Have you heard the song? So much. All of it. I love it. I I love it. I love it. I love it. So everyone, John Bellion is producing the new Jonas Brothers album and I'm like the biggest John Bellion fan in the world and was the biggest Jonas Brothers fan in the world so this crossover is kind of everything to me and I'm also a big fan of people being fans of things and Hayley Lou Richardson is like the biggest Jonas Brothers fan so she has been quite vocal about it and then it turns out they have nabbed her to be in the music video at one point in the music video She's, like, dancing around the hotel room. They're going to get in the elevator and she sees the Jonas Brothers and it's just really cute and wholesome. I just think the the fact, A, it's come up after we were just talking about meeting your heroes, the full circle mm. nature of everything. I went back, like, because I wasn't across any of this, I went back and watched the interview with James Corden and saw how she was, yeah. like, reacting about giving that tie and, like... Yeah, she gave Nick Jonas a necktie everyone when she was when she was younger. And she, she FaceTimed him and she said, I'm so proud of when you. When she was, like... 14? Yeah. I think that was the part for me, like, 
she met O'Hara and she chose in that moment to just very earnestly be like, I'm so yes. proud of you and your family. And like, it oh. was just gorgeous. And then her being in oh, the yeah. video, I was like, everyone, as I've said before, your heroes don't owe you a photo. You know, let's not be weird about it. But if you do get a chance to meet them, <laughs> I think it probably will be a nice interaction. <laughs> if you're not violating anyone's privacy. <laughs> I actually, I love, I love the caveats around that because... <laughs> And I haven't actually talked about this on Culture Vulture yet, but really quickly, last week when I was talking to Gemma fucking Styles, I <sighs> had to very much like choose how I wanted to act, obviously. Do I want to be like I'm in love with your brother and it, this is weird and really cool or do I want to be profesh because I don't know who's going to listen to it? And obviously I chose the let's address the elephant in the room, love your brother. <laughs> and we got into a really good conversation about she's really obsessed with um, learning about fandom and seeing how it's changed with the internet and how it can be used for good. And then equally, I felt like I was chiming in as the, yeah, but we, you know, after being a fan for 10 years, you learn that there's a limit. And like Mm. 15-year-old me was waiting outside hotel rooms and like invading privacy, right? Wow. And now 25-year-old me is like, nah, there's a way to, like you said, earnestly do it in a way that isn't a violation yeah we don't love a violation we don't <laughs> we don't love a violation let's talk more about you waiting anyway. outside hotel rooms another day <laughs> yeah we will talk about that but we haven't actually told people what we're talking about this episode we we are like incredibly bad here at culture vulture at housekeeping and setting the scene but you would have got it from the podcast episode if i've titled it correctly but we are talking about this theory that laura told me about two years ago when I think when we first met we met during a season of Love Island and it was Liam and Millie's season yes and I remember Liam had just sung Millie no Liam would always sing around the villa and we were talking about it about how it was like kind of cringe and then you just said I have a theory that you should date the person that makes you cringe and ever since you mentioned that to me it's stuck in my head through every Love Island debrief oh. and then particularly during this season of Love Island, which I know you haven't been watching, but the people the people will know what I'm talking about when I say Farmer Will is like, he's he's like the Hugo or the Dr. Alex, like he's that nice guy. Or the Curtis even, would I put that on him? Oh yeah, he's like... The Curtis, but he's not like, and I want to get up in the morning and make everyone coffees. Like he's, <laughs> he's Curtis, not, like, like pre-Mora, like before Curtis and Mora got together, right? Yes, exactly. And so okay. I just want to read you a paragraph from The Cut about Will, and then, Laura, I want you to dive into your theory and a little bit of attachment theory, which we're probably going to weave through bloody every episode <laughs> that we have. Okay. But this is, but this is what The Cut said, um, of Will. On every season of Love Island, there is one sweet dweeb among the Instagram models, semi-pro footballers and personal trainers who manages to worm his way into this dating competition. Season four had Dr. Alex, season seven had Hugo. These are guys who, though they physically fit the type of the standard male islander, God forbid, they're also a bit awkward. They repeatedly fail to find a real love connection, but remain on the show because of the friendships they've made. They are, at their core, variations of the archetypical nice guy. 
This season, it's Will Young, a 23-year-old sheep farmer from Buckingham. He looks like a yesified Wallace and or Gromit, which I do mean as a compliment. He was the last guy to be picked during the initial coupling, and like his predecessors, all the women were quick to let him know they'd love to get to know him as a friend. Now, since then, just as context for everyone, he's found a real love connection in Australian Jesse. He loves to twerk, he loves to dance, he's obsessed with sheep, and... He, like, at the start gave me the ick so fucking bad, and now I've grown to love him because he seems vulnerable. But anyway, talk to me Talk to me about your theories. Well, it sounds like you're finally open to loving the person who makes you cringe, Luce, which I feel <laughs> good. Well, I feel like that is, like, a self-love, a self-love <laughs> thing because I am so fucking cringe. So I think basically... I was at university and I was studying attachment theory at the time and around the same time me and my friends started having these conversations and a couple of them were experiencing very similar situations and I ended up writing about it and I think yeah major caveat you don't have to date the person who makes you cringe but I think this is more a a case for it I don't want people writing in like I did it and (laughs) I did it and he was actually just genuinely really odd (laughs) but I think so basically what happened were my friends were seeing people and they seemed to be really great and, you know, no major red flags on objectively. And then a month or two later, they'd start <laughs> freaking out and would kind of sit down and, you know, do the classic, like over coffee, go through it, go through the dates, see what went wrong. And the things that they were saying were like, mm. oh, that laugh was just a bit loud or, you know, oh, they were, they oh, messaged me I'm back, <laughs> but the, they messaged me back too quickly or, you know, things that really were giving them the ick but actually all just seem to be a little bit like, oh, I'm cringed out. And I think once you have the ick, once you feel cringed out, it's very hard to bounce back from it. Like, And I think particularly things mm-hmm. like Love Island, we've really made the ick a thing. And it's like, you can really write someone yeah. off for having that. And I think like a similar thing had kind of happened to me and I started reviewing my own behavior and I was like, oh, do you know what? I've actually like ghosted people or avoided things or ended things by text, which is probably still my least best moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I've just been cringed out and I was sitting in a counselling session and explaining to my counsellor at the time that I was, you know, not that keen to progress things with the person that I was dating because I thought maybe they were too nice. Um, And I was like, look, I'm just really, really sure that they are hiding a really dark secret and I'm going to find out when it's too late. And she basically just was like, you need to shut up. You're just looking for problems that aren't actually there. I was going to say, it's giving self-sabotage. But it's also, giving. be wary because, you know, you're allowed to feel things. But, yeah, I, your counsellor being like, bro, he's too nice is, like, you deserve that. He's not, that's not a reason to. Exactly. I mean, and it's such a cliche, but I think it kind of, yeah, it all came together. And I was like, oh, we're listing off potential problems and hypothetical relationships that aren't actually really happening because the absence of a red flag is a red flag. So inter-attachment theory. Mm. And basically... When you've experienced pain in any relationship, be it familial or romantic, it can affect how you see love and the people that you are drawn to, or so the theory goes. So to someone who's always been accustomed to kind of just out of reach love, like, and I think particularly for a lot of us, like, and this isn't the theory, this is my own hot take, but like a lot of (laughs) us were like raised on like this Ross and Rachel, will they, won't they, like Mm. turbulent kind of, oh, it's just quite not there 
love. And I think for people who are accustomed to kind of feeling like that, then it's way more compelling to move towards the person kind of woven out of red flags than sit in possibly the cringe and uncomfortableness of someone who's actually just really fine with texting you back immediately or Mm. making plans for the following week and they're not playing any games with you. And what, Mm. like, the theory would say is that that person is securely attached. So I've got a quote from my second crush, not Stanley Tucci. This is um, author Elaine de Baton, who I think you'll hear a lot about on this podcast because I am obsessed with him. Um, But he says, because you're used to equating an activated attachment system with love, you conclude that this can't be the one because something is missing. For some reason, no bells are going off. You associate a calm attachment system with boredom and indifference. And because of this fallacy, you may let the perfect person pass you by. And I think basically what he's saying here, and I do, again, want to stress this is not all the time. You're allowed to not date someone like who makes you cringe. That's yeah. fine. This is the case for it. <laughs> this is the case for it. But sometimes if you're not getting crazy butterflies, it doesn't mean that they're not worth giving it a go. It actually just means that possibly, depending on your attachment style, if you subscribe to this, that you're more familiar with drama when it comes to love. And when you don't have that, you're like, oh, that's not I'm cringed mm. out. They're too available. <laughs> they're too, I guess, secure. And that's why... It's because I took the test and it was interesting. Well, I took a test. There's a million of them online, but I did it before coming on this podcast. Yeah, um, I got secure. Don't really know what that means, but we can get into that. Like, you can tell me what that means in a second because you've just been doing Yeah, I'm like, please yeah. let me tell you. Um, <laughs> but this one was all based on how your family treated you and how previous partners have treated you, etc. But then interestingly, what you said about watching Ross and Rachel and what we grew up seeing and the culture we consumed and all these love triangles like Bridget Jones's diary and things like that, it makes me feel like these tests need to include also like what we consumed growing up because I feel like it's quite a learned behaviour to want the really bad guy and the person that's going to fuck you around but keep you excited and like it's meant to be screaming and fighting and, and really passionate. But I'm like... Did I get that all from songs and movies? Like I never, I didn't see that growing up. So like, well, I think that's really interesting, and that actually, like, there's a lot of critiques of this theory. So like, yeah. the way that this theory kind of came together was in the 1960s, and um, researcher John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth, she created this thing called the Strange Situation, where it, like, I think any psych course universally they make you watch this. Like I watch this. You watch eight three-minute videos filmed in the 1970s where there's a mother and a baby. And they watch what happens to the baby as the mother leaves the room. And the way that they kind of break it down is that an avoidant, like inverted commas, baby would kind of show no distress when the parents leave, no distress when the parents return. A secure baby Mm -hmm. would show distress when the parent leaves and joy when the parent returns. And an anxious baby would just cry. And those are the three types. There's also disorganized attachment, which would kind of show confusion and disorientation. But basically, we have taken that and run with it. So they've done very few tests since then. And I yeah. think a lot of people, you know, say that actually your first relate it's kind of like your first relationship can or first familial relationship can form possibly a large part of your attachment style, but also so can your first romantic relationship. And actually, like relationships come in a lot of different forms. And I think that is one major critique is that it's there's so many things influencing us now. You know, there's so many things going on. So many variables. So many variables. Um, But I think back to, I guess, what you were saying about being secure, Luz. Would you like me to tell you what it means? Do I? (laughs) Yes, I do. Yeah. I I actually do love, like, shit like this that just either backs up what I already know about myself or... 
Well, I'm, I mean, Secure is really great. So Secure Attaches, um, and I'm basing this off, there's a book that absolutely blew up on this. It's called Attached, and it's by Dr. Amir Levine. And essentially, like, this book has brought attachment theory, I don't know, to the world. Like, people are obsessed yeah. with it. It's been in the top 200 for forever. It's been translated into 20 languages. Um, it's It's everywhere. And so he kind of breaks it down. And he kind of attributes it to your dating styles as well and relationships. But he said, secure attachers feel comfortable with intimacy and are warm and loving. Anxious attachers crave intimacy, but can be preoccupied with relationships and want to get closer to their partner. And avoidant attachers equate intimacy with a loss of independence and they sometimes distance themselves. Okay, I actually feel like I'm anxious then. Well, no. I mean, well, this is the thing. You can change. I think it's because... This feels like a therapy session. I know. Well, no, I am only say this because my the test that I took was largely based on my upbringing, where I mm. felt incredibly secure with both my mum and dad, and was shown a lot of love mm. and knew that they'd take me to sports games and I could try anything I wanted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then my biggest, like, um, I don't even want to say red flag, but my biggest thing whenever I've been in a relationship has been I am like the most independent like I have to be mm. just incredibly independent to feel good about life and feel like in control and honestly if I'm if I am the apple of someone's eye it it drives me so far away from them okay so that's avoidant that oh okay but that's <laughs> okay I mean the independence is great but I'm I mean that is fascinating to me because essentially like what like Levine goes on to talk about is that there's things that like anxious and avoidant attachers in particular do to kind of turn off their attachment needs. And they sound very much like being cringed out. So things like pulling away when things are going well, sending mixed messages, becoming overwhelmed by your partner's shortcomings and needing your own independence, having a gut feeling then just not right, feeling a deep rooted loneliness that should have been alleviated by the perfect person. (laughs) I mean, it goes on. And obviously all these things are also fine in their own right. But I think, yeah, a mark of an avoidant attacher is that you kind of see your loss of independence as like attaching to someone. Yeah. When actually if it's done healthily, you should be very independent still. (laughs) Yes. And that is why we'll be coming on this podcast every week to chronicle (laughs) both of us um, figuring out who we are and how we can be better in our attachment styles. And how we can figure that. I mean, the amazing thing, and I think, yeah, there's a lot of critique about attachment theory as well. And I think it's important to like, there's this one quote I absolutely loved that said, self-diagnosed anxious attachers who find out about attachment theory in the first place because they were anxiety Googling why their crush isn't texting them back. What could be more appealing than a theory that claims the person leaving you on read is actually just suffering from an indelible psychic wound at the core of their ability to relate to the world? Guess who's the fucked up one now? <laughs> Do you relate to that? <laughs> Which kind what of hit me a bit too hard. What's your attachment stuff? So I, and this is where I think as well, there is hope. Because um, I think, you know, you <laughs> right. as with any personality test that puts you into a box, like you, A, it's never great, but we do love that there's a language to kind of describe the way we feel and see the world. And I think the thing with attachment theory is also, ideally you're in relationships and those can be romantic relationships or friendships or familial relationships where you can help the other person heal a little bit, I guess. And so the idea is that if you are like, I'm very anxiously attached, so I'm like clingy as hell. Mm -hmm. And like Rupert is very secure. And so through being in a relationship with him, 
I kind of learned that, oh, he's actually, like, still going to be here tomorrow and I don't need to, like, cling on to him. Like, yeah. I, can, I don't know. because he's st- <laughs> And as I've learned that, I've almost become more avoidant. Like, I'm absolutely fine. It's on growth. Yeah, we love growth. We- <laughs> we're here for it. And do you feel like, as the one of us in this podcasting duo that's married, do you feel <laughs> like you married the person that makes you cringe? I knew that this was going to come up and I'm not sure. He wasn't <laughs> He wasn't jazzed about Stanley Tucci Light, so we'll see. <gasps> really? I think he was. I, I, think that's I like- literally... He came home and he was like, so the podcast is out. And I was like, oh, my God, is it? And he was like, Stanley Tucci Light, you say. <laughs> is it because he wanted to be like Stanley Tucci full cream? Probably. Like, okay, no, I don't want to have said that. <laughs> Stanley Tucci, but better, not the light version. I think so. I think I, yeah. But I think honestly, and this is a testament to, I think, attachment theory in my life and how I see things is like, well, when I first met Rupert, he was so just like oh would you like to go on a date with me and I was like I remember messaging my friend and being like oh my god like he's so full on where's the chase like, yeah exactly <laughs> where's the games and he's just this really nice man being like would you like to go on a date and I just couldn't something in me was like oh I'm not I don't know yeah, like, yeah and it's about you like that shows that it's about you not about like your cringe and this is what me and Liv spoke about on the episode a few weeks ago your cringe is about you it's not particularly all the time something they're doing it's sometimes deep within you this cringe well this is sometimes it's your own thing and I think yeah I think where I sit with attachment theory and dating the person that makes you cringe is I think it's a mix. I think I don't subscribe to like the doom and gloom that if you think that you're attached one way, you're never going to be able to change that. And it's always going to be you like mm-hmm. wanting your independence or whatever. But I think there is a balance of knowing that maybe some things in you are wired a little bit to see the world in a certain way. And that if someone laughs too loud or like dances when you walk down the street or like does a rap at the <laughs> BAFTAs, I don't know, like maybe, <laughs> maybe you should. <laughs> Maybe you should give them a second chance. I was going to say, just don't write them off. Exactly. And I think, I guess, the thing for me that sums it up really nicely is a few years ago, I went to a therapist and I kind of asked them a bunch of these questions about things like love and can you choose the wrong kind of love and attachment styles? And the thing she came back with, which I love, is this. She said, I don't believe in wrong love as a concept. Being in love is very complex. And often you're attracted to someone who triggers deep unmet needs that activate your same reactions you had in childhood. These are dysfunctional gridlock relationships and need to be worked through healthy communication until you can both show up and stay open to each other. However, love is based on choice to stay connected with another person in a respectful, trusting way. If you feel you are chasing another person in love and finding the relationship is frequently disconnecting and frustration, get help or ask yourself why you are chasing this relationship so hard. And I feel like that's a really nice thing for the anxious attachers to remember that if you feel like you're chasing it, it's probably not right. And equally, if you feel like, Mm. I don't know if it's too complex or any of these things, but also know that maybe something's been activated in you and maybe you should date Curtis or Farmer Will or or maybe don't. I don't know. (laughs) could go either way (laughs) at the end of it all we're not experts by the way (laughs) p.s at the end of it all laura did promise some trickle down therapy on her very first episode and and here it is you better believe she finna pull through it's gonna (laughs) deliver sorry for saying finna (laughs) she's gonna deliver i really just to round out this section which i have adored i really love what you said 
um, that some people see the absence of a red flag as a red flag. And that's mm-hmm. just, if you're looking for something wrong, then like, I don't know, maybe try and look for a few things that are right. Or I don't, I mean, I'm not here to get or, or maybe you shouldn't be dating at that time and maybe you need to just yeah. be by yourself for a while. And, yeah. you know, I think, but yeah, I think especially Ross and Rachel, we're used to looking for red flags. Maybe there's none. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a few. <laughs> I'm terrified for the stories that are going to come out of this. No, like. I'm obsessed. Okay, so your very first on my radar, what have you got that you're looking forward to? Well, I think this will make you cringe, but I do think it's very on brand at the moment with meeting your heroes, and it's actually something of yours. Um, you recently teamed up with Pocket to put together a collection of all the best pieces of content that you've read about fandom. I did, and... I'm obsessed with it because I love being able to talk about fandom like as a job. And and for those of you who don't know, which maybe you do because I talk about them all the time, Pocket is literally the best app in the world because you can save all your stories. And so it makes writing the newsletter really easy. You have like a personal personal library. So yeah, it was really cool. It's always really cool when we get to work with them. Yeah, I can't wait to read it. And if you want to go read it too, go to getpocket.com forward slash Siska or check out the link in our show notes. You got anything not? loose related on your radar as well i mean i've already mentioned my divorce book which i feel like has had more airtime than it should have (laughs) (laughs) okay but that's great who wrote it um it was written by i think monica high c um but it's called really good actually and i do recommend it but the other thing (gasps) i really recommend oh please i've sorry i've been wanting to read that i did not know it was about divorce and and that was kind of Put me off reading it, I think. No, no, okay. I've undersold. Okay. I have, I was basically, I got it because I, we were on our way to the airport and I kept seeing ads for it on the tube yes. everywhere. So I got it immediately and it is so good. I didn't realize okay. at the end, I'm pretty sure it's a memoir. And at the time I was like, this is a fiction. And then at the end I was like, oh shit, she went through some things. Um, but it is amazing. It's on divorce, but it's also on breakups, which is very on brand and on friendships and on therapy, which we love here. And I feel like, yeah, it really kept me intrigued the whole time and was quite like a brutal look at herself. And yeah, I really recommend. You've resold it to me because I have it on my list because a few people have, you know, mentioned it. I've seen it on book talk a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I also don't have a fresh on my radar because we've kind of talked about it today as well. But the the new Jonas Brothers album that's coming oh. out is that's what's on my radar right now because sorry, but with John Bellion at the helm, the production is going to be just better probably I hope than we've ever heard from them. I had uh, no I idea you were this into John Bellion. This is a no, really new like, revelation for me. It kind of feels like it, if you were in. Like, that's, like, the soundtrack to my brain. Like, the the sounds that he uses and the way I've watched all the videos of how he makes and operates and his, like, processes, and he just feels like me, which is how I feel about a lot of celebrities, which we can unpack later. But <laughs> I don't know. He's just... <laughs> which, he's just what kind of an attack I feel the same you? way about Matty Healy, which just isn't, <laughs> isn't quite it. We can unpack all... I mean, that also, just segue to another mundane poll. Do you ever wake up with a song in your head in the morning? Um, when you said it's a soundtrack to your brain. No, I don't think I do, because I don't have it in a monologue. So I, I oh hear... God, been, yes. Well, I'm interested to know if anyone else has yeah. that, because I often wake up and I will have had, like a soundtrack to my dream that song is in my head that Whoa. morning and it's sometimes it's songs that I've been working on or not my own to be very clear I'll never go back to the <laughs> no, garage no we're both the garage band let us hear the strings 
<laughs> Sometimes I wake up with Lucy's rap in my head. <laughs> okay, that's a really oh. good Monday poll because oh no, I'm just obsessed that you said sometimes it's songs I've been working on, not mine. <laughs> Laura works in the music industry, everyone. <laughs> She's teaming up with John Bellion to do the Jonas Brothers release. This has all been a big ad for them. <laughs> no, that's all that's all fun. That's all everyone. False. But she God. has been working on songs. Not my own, <laughs> to be clear. To be clear, not your own. This has been a wonderful episode. Laura, I am so glad to have you here as the other half of Culture Vulture. It's such a joy. I, I feel very I feel very lucky and also still very confused as to why you want me here, but I love it. Imposter syndrome episode incoming. See Massively you next week. <laughs> <laughs> See you. No, next week, everyone. Daisy Jones in the six. We're gonna we're gonna be talking about it because we've been sent screeners and I can't give a review yet. But But we will. But we will. <laughs> Nice meeting. Like, how do I finish this without giving a review? It's almost like we finish each other's sandwiches. Oh my nah, god! I it cringed to... me out. It... <laughs> I tried to do that. Right. We have to run out of the studio. First, we have to thank Tiahe Butler, producer to the stars, us being the stars, him being a really good dungeon master. <laughs> Laura, thank you for joining me, and I can't wait to do this again next week. I can't wait. And yeah, we'll see you when we see you, everyone. 